I did not see that answer coming from a million miles. Did not <laughs> see that coming. <laughs> My screen glows blue. I don't know what to do. All alone here in the gloom. Working in isolation in my parents' basement room. I think that line's a good way to start off the first podcast of 2017. It takes a little long to get to the hook on that song, but it's worth it. So the link's in the show notes if you want to hear the whole version of, uh, of DrupalCon from DrupalCon Los Angeles. Uh, performed by uh, Christina Bjorin, I believe is how you pronounce her last name. It's, um, so anyway, welcome to Drupal Easy Podcast, episode number 189, the first of 2017. My name is Mike Anello, and I am flying, as far as co-hosts are concerned, solo. Um, we took a little bit of a break at the end of 2016 and decided to you know, kick things off as early as possible here in 2017. So... Here we go. Um, I do have a guest, luckily. Otherwise, uh, this would be a pretty short podcast, I think. Um, David Thompson. How are you, David? Good, Mike. How are you? Pretty good. So you are, and correct me or add anything you'd like as, as, I, as I go here. You're probably new to a lot of, a lot of listeners. Um, you are a consultant with Function One. So is, is that like a... Um, uh, do you guys have an office or is that a virtual company? Where are you guys based? What's the, what's the deal with Function One? Yeah, we, we're kind of both. We have our main office in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. We've got um, about 50 um, full-time staff that kind of spread all over the globe. We ha- have a, another office up in, I think it's Toronto. Oh. But I work 100% remote. Oh, fantastic. Are you located in the, in the D.C. area? I'm actually, um, I can see Beaver Stadium. So I'm in the central part of Pennsylvania looking down on um, Penn State University. Oh, all right. Very good. Very good. And Function One, that's not pure, that's not a pure Drupal shop, right? You guys do a lot of different things. Yeah. Function One is a leading provider of enterprise information technology services. That's kind of like our byline. All right. And, you know, we partner with several niche technology vendors. And, you know, we like to say that we provide compelling solutions and support services related to Oracle, Drupal, Splunk, and data security. Splunk. That's fun to say. What is Splunk? Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> when I write it, I tend to leave out the L, so that ends up coming up reading <laughs> Spunk. <laughs> so what, what is Splunk? I've never heard of it. It's a high-end data analytics platform. Okay. Um, it's, you know, real good for um, monitoring and um, I guess you, I think it's things in terms of monitoring and c- controlling, but you can write scripts to, you know, create dashboards for just about anything that goes on on any type of computer system. Right. And so when we talk about monitoring, you and I kind of have very similar backgrounds and we haven't talked about this yet and I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Um, where both of our backgrounds, and actually my background, your foreground, I suppose, um, is in uh, building energy analytics, like like buildings, like homes and commercial buildings. 
Absolutely. I, I've been working with building systems since I graduated from Penn State in 1990, 1991. Yeah. So I, when I, graduate I, I got a master's in 94 and I went to work immediately for uh, the University of Central Florida um, in one of their research institutions called the Florida Solar Energy Center where I specialized in you know modeling energy systems and buildings so I started yeah off, that's cool stuff yeah well yeah I guess I mean I was low man on the totem pole so I got all the worst jobs um, you know so I did a bunch of modeling of, of HVAC systems. Um, I did a bunch of uh, uh, wiring up, you know, commercial buildings with sensors in order to validate our models to make sure that the, you know, the actual data was, was you know, was modeled correctly. Uh, um, I moved over to the residential side where, again, I was doing a lot of energy simulations. I actually wrote software. That's really my big introduction to software. And I'm, going to stop talking about me in a second because you're a lot more interesting than this. Um, no, go for it. This is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, the, the way I got into software was we got a project to write the software for the state of Florida that gauges how energy efficient new home construction is in Florida. So most people, at least in the United States, I don't know if it's this way outside the United States, when you buy like something like a refrigerator or a dryer, you have like the yellow sticker with the little arrow that shows you how efficient that appliance right. is. Um, I wrote the software that, well, I was one of the authors of the software that did that for new homes in Florida. So we had to take into account the level of insulation, the number of windows, what direction the windows were facing, um, the, the, the footprint of the house, number of people, the size of the hot water heater, all that types of things to figure out how efficient is this house relative to other houses of, of a similar size. And to add on top of this, a good friend of mine in the Drupal community, um, a guy by the name of Eric Baldwin, I'm sorry, Eric Bladwin, um, who actually I just had dinner with last night, um, before he got into Drupal, he was in construction and design and he actually used, he was in Florida as well. He actually used the software that I wrote before we even met. Oh, is, cool. Which is, which is kind of fun. Um, so I do have a little bit of a background um, in, you know, I got out of that um, probably about almost uh, 18, 16, 18 years ago. I stayed a little bit involved. I did some consulting for them. Towards the end of it, I was more specializing in modeling um, hot water systems. Because here in Florida, one of the biggest bang for the buck you can get with energy efficiency is to put solar hot water on to your house. Um, uh, so I, yeah, so I was modeling, doing a lot of modeling of, of, of that. Um, with a program, let me see, David, if you're familiar with this, uh, with this um, a program called Trinsys. I don't think I've heard of Trinsys before. <laughs> you are one of the lucky ones. I think for a, a, a small period of time, maybe you know, two or three years, um, I was probably considered the leading expert in Trinsys in the state of Florida because I was the only one who knew how to use it. <laughs> yeah. So, so with that kind of as my background, how does you know what's your background in, in building energy analysis? And for anyone listening to the podcast, this you know we're going to get to Drupal because David has done something that I have I've never done is he's actually integrated that with Drupal. And that's kind of where we're headed here. Well, um, 
I've kind of um, taken a, a aggressive approach, I guess, in um, putting using my Drupal user profile, which is DBT one hundred two. It's kind of um, you know a resume of sorts, and since everybody else in the Drupal community talks about their Drupal experience, I thought I did try a different twist and show all of my um, my energy experience. So I've got a um, uh, uh, issue out there, which is a um, big issue for me, I guess. Not so much of an issue as you know, kind of my um, my passion, I guess, is you know trying to bring this whole concept of energy as a vertical market into the Drupal community. I think there's a, a lot that can be done um, for like energy efficiency. And, you know, it's, it's an area that when I first got into Drupal, I was, you know, I started to search all over for it and I just couldn't find anything that was going on related to you know, like building automation systems or, you know, real time display of energy usage in buildings. So um, I guess in terms of modeling, you know, that's, that's kind of an academic thing. And I um, was a air traffic controller in um, the Air National Guard. And when I got out of that, or I guess when I was in the middle of that, they gave me three years of free schooling. So I decided to, you know, kind of um, work hard at Penn State, and I ended up with a simultaneous degree in architectural engineering and biochemistry. So there's a long story behind that, but it was really easy, I thought. And the commonality was, you know, kind of the the state of the art in computer, you know, and how sensors were being used in both both of the disciplines. And I'd worked uh, several years as a carpenter, so the architectural engineering was kind of, uh, you know, construction oriented. So mm-hmm. I, um, yeah, I kind of found, you know, a lot of that coursework pretty easy. All right, I got, I got to stop you right there because architectural engineering and biochemistry, I don't see the overlap there. <laughs> Is it just you know, me? No, you know, you have to, you kind of have to experience it, experience it, I guess. But, um, you know, essentially like the first two or three years, it's heavy math and physics. Right. Okay. You know, know, a lot of science courses, um, you know, it it took me six and a half years, you know, to complete the two, but, um, you know, the BS in biochemistry was a four-year degree and architectural engineering is a five-year degree. So you can see the overlap. It didn't take me nine years to do it. You know, it took me, you know, about six and a half years. But I was just, you know, um, I guess really into computers at that time. And, you know, back then, this is even really before the Internet. The Internet was just starting to, you know, become known, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't really accessible. I think the first computer course I took at Penn State, you know, we were, um, it was a Fortran course. You know, and we were working off of terminals on a mainframe, you know, with punch cards for programming. Yeah, I would. I didn't go that far back, but I my first work at the Florida Solar Energy Center was in Fortran on a on a VAX VMS system. Yeah, I mean, I got you know twin boys that are fifteen years old, and you know, I tell ask them if they've ever even heard of Fortran. And I'm speaking a different language. You know, they they never even heard of that sort of thing, and they're pretty smart kids. <laughs> 
So, so you found your way, and I'm, I'm going to stop you here just for a second. So you found your way, um, you know, from this, this background and you knew that you wanted to kind of, you know, get this data online or, or, um, basically combine your, your passion of, uh, you know, building energy systems and the kind of emerging internet. You just weren't sure how to do it. Yeah. In the architectural engineering program at Penn State, um, we do what's called a fifth year kind of design thesis. Mm -hmm. And what I worked with was direct digital control systems. We call them DDC back then, direct digital control. And I worked with Johnson Controls and they had a a system that was called Metasys. And my um, senior project was a big building um, that was being built on the campus of Penn State. It was the largest building at the time. It was the Ag Science Building. And they were putting this Johnson Controls Metasys system, you know, DDC control system in that building. And it was one of the first DDC projects of its kind that Penn State was doing. And, you know, my objective, you know, for my thesis was to look at all of the, we call them holes in the logic. So we had to, you know, kind of, I had to, they gave me all of the logic for the building and I had to kind of look to find the things that weren't there. And it was, it was was a bit of a challenge because, you know, if you compare two things, you know, you can say, oh, well, this is, you know, something's missing, but, you know, to find, you know, to find all of the problems before it's, so, it, you know, you actually experience it. It's not an easy thing. What's an example of like one of these holes, these logic holes? Well, you know, like if um, if a, a fan is running 24 hours a day, All right. well, that's good. You know, if it's supposed to be doing that. But, right. you know, if the fan is to bring fresh air into a classroom where, where, you know, that's being used, you know, really the fan only needs to run during the times of days that right. the classroom is in use. Right. Exactly. Yeah, so those are the kind of things you have to start to think through. But when you're looking at code, it's not the easiest thing to do because <laughs> exactly. you know you're trying to visualize spaces and usage, and yep. you know how does that all translate into code? So there's been a lot of effort by a lot of really smart people in the building automation community, you know, to try to make that whole process easier. So the um, there's a they call it GPS. You know, there's kind of a graphical programming language that's kind of taken hold that, you know, kind of softens the blow between a new user trying to learn programming for the first time and looking at raw code. Right, right. All right. So let me uh, let me interject here for a minute because um, uh, we're going to get we're going to come right back to to uh, kind of your story. And eventually we're going to talk about um, a couple of Drupal modules that you've created um uh one one called backnet um and another one called app control before we get to those two modules and a project that you know the the project that you uh originally sent me which i is really fascinating um we're going to talk about that as well involving app control but first i do need to mention um our sponsor mydropwizard.com and so david i'll ask you you've been working i know you've been working with drupal for a long time um since at least Drupal 6, if not Drupal 5, correct? Yeah, I think I actually started at Drupal 5. Do you have any Drupal 6 sites that are still out there? 
I don't, no. Oh, okay. Well, you're one of the lucky ones. <laughs> only, only on my local. <laughs> okay, well, that's fine then. <laughs> so my drop wizard, what they do is they provide long-term support for Drupal 6 sites. So as most people know, when Drupal 8 was released, there was a little bit of a grace period. But then shortly after that, um, the community stopped officially supporting Drupal 6, meaning there were not going to be any more updates or security updates to Drupal 6. Um, in response to that, my drop wizard stepped in and said, hey, I will or we will help continue to support or continue to provide support for Drupal 6 in the form of security updates and, and bug fixes and things like that. Um, and this is a service that they sell. Um, it's perfect if you're a Drupal freelancer or you work at a Drupal shop and you have clients that still have Drupal 6 sites, um, it's a great way to kind of remove that headache off your plate and have my drop wizard, you know, take care of it for you. Um, they will white label their service so it can be invisible to your clients. Um, anytime there's a security update for Drupal um, or anytime that they find a security issue or a security issue for Drupal 6 is reported either in core or in a list of selected modules, they will automatically patch and deploy those fixes. Um, normally, they respond to customer requests in less than 24 hours. They work extremely quickly. Uh, they will integrate with your site, so it's a completely automated. Um, they actually even have a testing environment to auto automatically test the sites after they've been patched before they deploy them out to live. Um, it, you know, in all likelihood, their service costs less than for you to do it yourself. Um, you definitely want to check them out at mydropwizard.com. If you just want to email them directly and, you know, if you're convinced just by the last 30 seconds of my phenomenal selling, um, you can email them directly at sales at mydropwizard.com. If you're interested in the white label um, support, you can go to mydropwizard.com slash white dash label. Um, definitely check them out if you have a Drupal 6 site, if you're the owner of a Drupal 6 site, or if you're responsible for supporting a Drupal 6 site. Um, we've had David, uh, you know, one of the principals behind My Drop Wizard, on the podcast previously. You can look that up on DrupalEasy.com and listen to him talk about it. It's really a fantastic service that uh, anyone who has a Drupal 6 site out there should definitely check out. Okay, so uh, David, back to you. Different David, by the way. Uh, there's a David who is with My Drop Wizard, but we are not talking to that David. We're talking to David Thompson. Um, so, David, how did you eventually find your way into Drupal? Well, um, <clears throat> I guess it was a secure. It, it took me a while to find. After I graduated high school, I worked, or I'm sorry, college, I worked as a consulting engineer, as an electrical engineer, mechanical engineer, designing hospital buildings. And, um, you know, the hospitals are, it's really important to have good environmental quality, right? You want, you know, fresh air, clean air. You don't want the germs flying around mm -hmm. infecting other people. But it's really um, important to have temperature and humidity control. So the company I was working with, and it was a small consulting firm in central Pennsylvania in State College, um, had most of the small hospitals in central Pennsylvania as their customer base. And it became pretty clear to me that um, interoperability, um, even between projects that we would design in the same building, was a real issue. 
And this is back in, you know, like, like around 1994, 1995. And Ethernet was just starting to get installed in buildings. I became what we call Bixie certified, so I could do telecommunications designs. And um, um, I, I wrote, you know, as a consultant, I wrote what's called the first BACnet spec for Penn State. It was a large renovation project for one of the buildings. So BACnet is, you know, it's an acronym that stands for Building Automation Control Networking. And it's a protocol that's become an international standard. So in 1995, the first BACnet spec was published by ASHRAE. Mm -hmm. So at this point, BACnet is a committee that maintains, or there is an ASHRAE committee that maintains the BACnet standard to keep it up to date. And I served many years on that committee, but all of that great experience landed me a job at Penn State University working as uh, I, they gave me a long title. Nobody else had ever had that title before. I was an energy management slash environmental systems consultant. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fat, that, that's it, it, it. You know what? That's a job title that um, campuses or even large buildings don't realize they need until they need it. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, it was interesting when they, you know, my first day on the job, I, you know, was kind of saying, okay, well, what is it exactly you want me to do? And they said, well, you know, we kind of have this energy management program that we want you to start up and manage, but we have no idea what we want it to look like. You know, (laughs) they didn't have a game plan. Right. But I had written an article or two in some magazines talking about BACnet and how it could be used, you know, in terms of managing facilities. And, you know, you know the, the big thing about it is, you know, with any construction project is all the planning that goes into it. And correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, a lot of it, a lot of what we're talking about here has to do with, you know, and I'm not going to say all of it, but a high portion of it has to do with energy efficiency. You know, lowering the energy footprint of the building. I know that some of it has to do with security, um, but are there other aspects to this? I mean, other than energy efficiency and security, are, are there any other kind of motivating factors behind you know having a, a efficient control of, of a building's energy systems? Yeah, I mean, saving money is you know, with unless you have real deep pockets, saving money is important, sure. and that's where you know the energy efficiency kind of comes in. Mm-hmm. You know, these days we like to talk about, you know, being green and environmentally friendly and, Mm -hmm. you know, sustainability and that sort of thing. But I think, you know, bottom line is, you know, everybody wants a healthy environment, you know, to work in. The air quality is another one, right. Yeah. So, you know, um, you know, it comes down to monitoring and control. You know, you want to, you know, read, read values, you know, real time values, and you want to you know, based on those real-time values, you want to make decisions to, you know, make the best building possible. And I think the best building is, you know, uh, you know, kind of like a um, uh, inexpensive to operate that everybody loves. Right. So I want to get us to the Drupal stuff a little bit faster. Yeah. So, sorry. Thanks. No, that's for that. right. So you mentioned BACnet, and you just describe BACnet. My my task at Penn State, they gave me um, 456 buildings. And I didn't, you know, I was a research engineer at Penn State, but 
the contract that I was working on was for um, the state museum system, which was, you know, the formal name is the Pennsylvania Historic and Museum Commission, PHMC. And they had 26 sites with about 460 buildings, you know, on these 26 sites. And, you know, the problem that I was hired to address was that these museums were losing their accreditation because, you know, mold was growing on their artifacts. Right. So, um, <clears throat> so I put together a, you know, a, a master program and spent about $150 million to retrofit, you know, a large portion of these facilities with great environmental systems, you know, to really nail the environmental conditions required for artifacts. And in Pennsylvania, that's kind of a big challenge because we have four distinct seasons up here. Sure. And the hardest thing to do is in the wintertime, try to maintain humidity levels. Right. You know, because, you know, out, when you bring in out, outside air, you know, it's freezing outside. So all the humidity is dropped out of the air. So you're bringing in this really dry air into facilities. And during the summer, you probably have the opposite problem. Yes, it is. It's dehumidification is the problem then, you know, because in Pennsylvania, it rains a lot in the summer, beautiful green. It's just that it's really, really humid. Right. So, you know, all of these things, you know, cause mold to grow if you don't pay attention to them, especially in, you know, the corners of facilities where, you know, really are just used for storing these valuable, priceless things. So what I did is I I tied everything together, you know, all of these program. um construction projects together. Um, and I put a like a centralized building automation control network in place. And it, it was very, very, very successful. Um, and since I had, you know, so I could just log, log on to, you know, web browser and see the conditions in any of the buildings real time. So I remember when I had the first couple of buildings in place, I was traveling all over the world on some DOE related um, seminars and stuff. And I was in Japan and, you know, I, I decided, okay, well, what I'm going to do for my presentation is actually look at one of my facilities and show people real time, you know, these the systems running at this museum in Pennsylvania. It was a ground source heat pump system. And, you know, as soon as I logged on to it, I saw, oops, well, you know, there's an alarm in one of the one of the pieces of equipment. So I got on the phone and called up, you know, the person at the site. And I told him, you know, exactly what was going on. And it was interesting because he had not logged on to his computer and wasn't aware of the problem yet. Hmm. So here I am, you know, in front of a live audience in Japan, <laughs> you know, identifying a problem that had just occurred, you know, at a facility in, in Pennsylvania. So really effective, you know, it's kind of, you know, kind of like your Drupal Easy um, podcast here, you know, very um, easy flowing, spontaneous type of, um, you know, access to information and how, how you can make good decisions based on good information. Yeah. And it's kind of like biofeedback. I'm, yeah, I the mean, information is you know, there, but getting it easily accessible is the issue. Yeah, so i i try to I try to just focus on buildings at this point. You know, with the biochemistry background, I understand you know the biofeedback and health related stuff, but I try to keep my focus on buildings. Mm. And um, um, 
in terms of Drupal, the way I got into it was, I think it was about uh, 2007, I was um, converting, uh, you know, upgrading, you know, my building automation systems to, you know, the latest and greatest hardware. Everything was growing. You know, we had database needs that, um, you know, were, we were trending, you know, recording all of the data that we were collecting so we could go back and look at, you know, um, you know, graphs and stuffs of, you know, historical trends. So, you know, it was taking up a lot of space. So just about every new construction project we wrote in, you know, to the procurement cycle, you know, nice computers to support the applications that we were installing. So I was doing an upgrade on the database and I was on, um, what was it? Microsoft um, SQL Server, whatever, 2003, 2002, and realized that um, my SQL had just been upgraded so that it could handle large data sets. There used to be a, a high-end limit on it, so we couldn't use it you know, okay. prior to that. I think it was like a two two megabyte limit or maybe two gig limit. Yeah, because because buildings generate a lot of data. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. <laughs> especially, especially when you know you think that you have to store it all. Yeah, and it depends if you're taking like you know one minute data or fifteen minute data per sensor, and you and a building could easily have hundreds of sensors. That that adds up quickly. Yes, it does. So, so anyways, I you know I was just um, I, I was just amazed when I converted everything over to MySQL. You know, because my SQL was free and it was actually doing a better job than, you know, the proprietary systems that we were migrating from. So that caused me to take a really close look at, um, you know, free open source software. And about that time, I had, um, you know, heard of AMP and MAMP and all that. And then I came across DAMP and I thought, well, what's DAMP? You know, so you know, got me into looking at Drupal. I think this is Drupal five time period. Mm-hmm. And I downloaded it and thought it was really neat because, you know, I had done a couple different websites using different types of content management systems. I think the first one I used was one in 19 or around year 2000, maybe 1999. It was called HTML OS. And it was kind of a um, you know scripting language that you could do chats and stuff online for websites, and you know we made good use of that. So Drupal was you know pretty amazing to me. And then we had a great um, IT department at Penn State that was you know pretty aggressive in bringing in you know training opportunities. So they asked me if I wanted to go to some Lullabot training that happened at Penn State. And, you know, there was about 20 of us, maybe 30 of us that attended the Lullabot training. And, you know, the training staff from Lullabot just did an excellent job. I think it was two or three days of training. And after that, I was just really, really enthused about it, excited about it. And I did a lot of writing of research proposals and a lot of BACnet related research when I was at Penn State. So I started to write, you know, like, you know, proposal research proposals on how to integrate backnet and drupal you know back at that point so when you did that i mean with that and correct me if i'm wrong but that's mainly for just displaying data that's that's more of the um 
the reporting side and less on the control side that you were looking to, for Drupal to handle? Yeah, I, the big issue for me is, you know, like how many people can see the data? And, I, you know, I found when I was working with the large number of facilities that, you know, I could give access to a lot of really smart people. But, you know, it was kind of a chore for them to, you know, bring it up on their computer. You had mm-hmm. to have, you know, special plugins back then to make things work, you know. Sure. The, if you know, you know, everybody was on Windows systems, but then you know, what if it's what if you have an Apple computer? So there's a lot of, you know, kind of interoperability issues just among you know with the computer hardware. Sure, sure. So um, so how so how did it work in the big picture though? So there was a bunch of data that you got into a MySQL database, and yeah, then so you use so you use Drupal to surface that data in views. Or like, what was kind of the, the tool chain there? Well, well, you know, our our objective at first was to try to display some of the backnet data, you know, some of the data in these buildings to everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we couldn't just give, you know, the anonymous user, you know, full access to the backnet systems because, you know, they just weren't designed for that. They were, you know, designed to connect a lot of... um you know, building systems, mm-hmm. you know, sensors and stuff and display it to a few number of users. So, you know, we thought that there was a, a lot of value, a lot of valuable information. And we found that, you know, the more people started looking at the data, you know, they just began to make smart decisions. You know, they were informed. The so whether they were engineers right there. Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, that was really my success as a, you know, as an engineer, research engineer at Penn State is being able to see the data, you know, seeing how systems were working, seeing how building buildings were performing. And, you know, good grief, you, you know, you look at the data, you see a trend and, you know, it's not rocket science to see that, oh, well, you know, this system should have been working, you know, at this time of day and, and it wasn't. Right. You know, so you right. go into the schedule and you can fix it. And, you know, before we could see it on computers and, you know, it was like a never ending process. Good Mm -hmm. grief. Why is mold growing in the corner? (laughs) But anyways, you know, so having the real time access to the data enables people to make smart decisions. So um, I guess it was around 2010 time period, you know, web technologies and stuff had gotten to the point that in Drupal, you know, was made a lot of, well, I, I became better at Drupal. So we ended up um, with a contract. I had gone on to work. Um, I left Penn State to pursue a PhD um, dissertation, and you know I wanted to write this backnet module for Drupal as part of this dissertation. So I went to work for a company down in South Carolina, and we had um, our systems in sixty percent of the public schools in South Carolina. So. Um, <clears throat> What they, what they wanted was a green, we call it a green screen, something that the students in the schools could look at so that they could become, you know, more educated about, you know, energy efficiency and sustainability, you know, issues in the schools. Yeah, this is my favorite for our listeners. This is my favorite part that's coming up that from, from what I know. Yeah, and um, I have... Uh, uh, um, 
there's a slides.com site out there I call Smart Schools, and yeah, you can get access. Yeah, and we'll put the that. link in the we, – we publish show notes for every podcast, and the link will definitely be in there. But get to the part yeah. how – you know, it's valuable to have the students see the data and act on the data, but you kind of went one step further. Yeah. So what we did is, um, you know, and what the, the what the architects and engineers required as part of the construction project was that we create this green screen. So I was new to the company and, you know, I was real excited about Drupal. And on day one, they said, well, you know, we need to present this green screen energy dashboard thing, and we have no idea how to do it. <laughs> you know, we don't have a product to sell. And I said, oh, well, good grief. You know, this is why I'm here. Let's do it in Drupal. <laughs> so, um, you know, with so I had access to hundreds of BACnet servers. And, you know, with that as a development base, we just, you know, put our heads to the grindstone and, you know, developed it in three or four months. And, you know, we're able to exceed the expectations of the specification. So what we did is, you know, we kind of combined, you know, we used views and CCK. Um, you know, we use the JavaScript um, graphing charting program flots. And, you know, we created a dedicated site that we loaded onto a standalone kiosk, you know, just a standalone Windows computer that we bought from Germany. And we installed these kiosks in five different buildings. So, um, so what it was, it was a standalone Drupal install, like a local install of Drupal on each kiosk. And it, it had access to the local area network in the building, but it was not connected to the internet because they did not want, you know, these elementary school kids to have access to the internet in any kind of way. They were very, you know, adamant about that. So we couldn't just, you know, you know, Drupal's all about creating amazing websites. But, you know, what they were after is kind of like a, an application that students could walk up to and learn from. And it was really cool. You know, Drupal was perfect for it. You know, they just walked up to this dedicated mm -hmm. browser and, you know, touched the screen and, you know, could cruise through a lot of the different, um, uh, you know, pages, you know, we use panels. So we were able to kind of compare school, you know, have energy competitions. So one school could see how their school compared to other schools. Yeah. And that's what I was getting at before. That's the part that I thought was really clever. It was kind of the gamification of it. Um, because if the goal was to um, have students be more aware of the amount of energy their school was using, the way to really um, help them, you know, enable them to take action was to turn it into a, a competition. You know, with absolutely. So, so, which school can have the, you know, the smallest relative energy footprint? Yeah, and you know, the bit, the big thing was to get the the students involved in it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the the kiosk was designed for the teacher, really. You know, the, so the teacher would walk up to the screen. And just, you know, in passing, passing it in the hallway, it was in, you know, like the main lobby of the schools is where we put these things. And the kids would go from, you know, classroom A to classroom B and they'd walk by this thing. And so, you know, everybody would just kind of sit down on the floor and the teacher would walk up to the, the green screen. And we had monitors, um, like remote monitors, big screen monitors. 
So the teacher would just do like a five minute checkup on, you know, how their building was doing compared to, you know, some of the other schools. So it really got the kids thinking about, you know, well, what is an electron? You know, what is, what is electricity? You know, what is, you know, what makes lights work? So they ended up with, you know, little stickers, you know, all over the school on all the light switches. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the kids were engaged in, you know, this school project to save energy. And it was cool because, you know, as we looked at trend histories over 100 days, they really saved energy. You know, they they saw that, you know, if they could grief, you know, they turned everybody turned the light off in the school at the same time. Look, there's this big dive in electrical usage. So they got they actually went home and started to talk to their parents about it. They talked about it at, you know, over dinner time and um the parents got really interested in it. So we ended up with uh one of the kids, their um dad worked for the uh he was a weatherman for Channel 4 News in Greenville, South Carolina. So he thought it was really neat, so he came in and did a, you know, a video spot on it. So the the um, smart schools presentation that's on slide.com is, you know, me taking pictures of when the camera crew was walking around doing an interview of, you know, the system and the, and the kids. So we only have a couple more minutes um, for the interview here, but let me ask you, um, so where does the app control module um, come into all this? Well, I think of app control is what I call a bundled service. <clears throat> and I have a, another module out there that's called Smart Service Systems, SSS. <clears throat> and the problem that you get into when you try to work with the BACnet module for Drupal is that, you know, you ha it, it's not just a Drupal module that you can, um, that, I, I mean, what you're doing is connecting another system into Drupal. So you have to have access to the other system. And it, it's not an easy thing to do is to get access to, to the other system. And then, you know, when you have it, depending on who's in charge, you know, they might let you have access to it or not. So, you know, if you're wired into a, a system and then somebody takes your access from it, well, all of a sudden you're showing everybody in the world all these errors on the screen. So it's kind of a coordinated thing. So this is a, you know, a, a longstanding problem, you know, for any kind of green screen application. So what we did with the app control is we actually developed a hardware module that, you know, we call app control. And it is a, a BACnet tested device that's compliant with the BACnet standard all over the world. And we connected it to a charging station. So this is an electric vehicle charging station. And, you know, our objective with it was to solve range anxiety. So what we mean by that is like when EV owners, electric vehicle owners, are driving around wondering where they're going to fuel up, you know, they, they look on, you know, Tesla.com or, you know, whatever, you know, charge point network they might be looking for. And they find the location of where to go. And right now, there's not that many EVs on the road. So they can, you know, go to a destination and it's probably going, you know, that destination charging station is probably going to be available. 
But, you know, there are cases in more metropolitan areas where you go and, you know, they might go there, but somebody's already using the facility. And seeing how it takes about four hours to get a decent charge in an electric vehicle, you, know, you might go to get fueled up somewhere and it's like an eight hour wait. Yeah, that's no so way. we said, yeah, so we said, hey, you know, we can, you know, this is a pretty cool point. You know, what we can do is, you know, install this cheap little device, this backnet device, and we tie it into the building automation system. And we kind of view it, the, the building automation system at that point is like middleware. And most of the, you know, better backnet systems out there have web services built into them. So using web services, then we're able to, you know, access that through Drupal and display on a Drupal website if that charging station, not only the location of it, you know, we can do maps of Drupal in beautiful ways. We can show the real time status of that charging station. You know, is it in use right now? So we call that sort of, um, you know, product at this point, uh, community charging solutions. So it's a way of, um, you know, kind of tapping into a real need in, you know, kind of the whole sustainability type of communities that are out there that are really pushing for renewable energies. And, you know, I'm pretty excited about the work that the Florida Solar Energy Center is doing with regards to their, you know, EV work, electric vehicle work mm -hmm. with the Department of Transportation in Florida. And, um yeah, so, you know, by combining BACnet with Drupal, we're able to, you know, present a, a solution that really is not out there at all anywhere in the industry as to, you know, how do you solve this range anxiety? Yeah, it's really what I think just kind of, you know, kind of summing up here, what I think is really cool is you've taken, you know, your expertise in a field and you saw a hole in, you know, what was needed and you basically partly filled that hole with, you know, Drupal as a CMS because of its ability to, you know, to connect other systems, to take data and then to massage data and display data and to make it publicly available. You know, one of the things that attracted me to Drupal, you know, at the very beginning, of course, was it's, it's free, right? Free open source software, mm -hmm. you know, and in the EV community, one of the things that's driving that whole community is, you know, being able to fill up your car for free. You know, you're not buying gas anymore. You know, from a maintenance perspective, sure. you know, EVs are, you know, just huge when it comes down to, you know, trying, well, you know, if you're on a budget, you know, and if you can afford an EV, you know, you save a lot of money by not having to fill it up with gas and, you know, maintain an internal combustion engine. Right, right. So, you know, since Drupal is free, you know, energy is free, you know, for, well, electricity, but, um, you know, you get it free from solar panels. Um, you know, it seemed like, a, it, you know, it had the, the right ring to us. So I've invested a lot of time the last six months and, you know, understanding how the charging stations actually operate. And, you know, it's, it's kind of changed the paradigm um, in the whole EV charging industry. We call it EVSE, Electric Vehicle Service Equipment. Because up until now, people were viewing these charging stations as, you know, kind of like a, a product to service the transportation industry. Mm -hmm. But with EVs, it kind of changes the whole paradigm because, 
now you can hook your car up to the building to, you know, to get it recharged. So you don't have to go to the gas pump. So really the car is starting, you know, since you're already connecting it to the charging station, which is connected to the building, you know, in essence, the car can be thought of as a building system itself. So, you know, it's really interesting, you know, what you can do with, you know, kind of connecting together the different types of technologies that are out there. Yeah, I, I just, I love how there's like all of these verticals that exist where Drupal's being used that don't necessarily, doesn't necessarily get a whole lot of attention. Yeah, and with Drupal 8, I, you know, I've been really excited about the leadership that Dries has given with regards to building web services, you know, in a bigger and better way into Drupal 8. Because that's what it's all about is, you know, taking this data from, you know, these remote systems, you know, and displaying them, you know, on these other systems, you know, displaying the data onto Drupal. Right. So we're able to actually, you know, at this point, we're able to actually, you know, create Drupal websites that are smart grid enabled that, you know, can um, significantly reduce electric bills on, you know, for large facilities. That's where, you know, the, the biggest advantage comes into it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great way to wrap up the interview. I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about here is, you know, the, the, the fact that the knowledge is power and, you know, we're using Drupal to be able to take this data and display it and then act on it in, you know, in a positive way, a positive and sustainable way. Yeah, so, you know, from my standpoint, you know, the biggest thing I need um, or, you know, the community needs is just, um, you know, more time to, you know, to develop this stuff. And if you look around at, you know, a lot of the modules that I have in place, I really haven't, um, you know, pushed out the code because so many of these, the things that we want to do, the, the standards have changed so much in 2016. <laughs> you know, Drupal 8, you know, Drupal 8's come out in a big way. Web yeah. services has just kind of been implemented. You know, the BACnet standards were upgraded. You know, they did a major overhaul of the BACnet standards that came out in June of this year or last year at this point. Um, and the what we call the facility smart grid information model, which was a product of NIST, was finally published last June. And I think just in October of 2016, um, it became the international standard for the smart grid. So <clears throat> I've been working, you know, hard the last, you know, couple months, you know, kind of talking things up and putting systems in place that we can use as development platforms to really, you know, get a lot of this code launched that we're we're looking forward to working on. I've had. Yeah, and it's a really exciting time going into 2017. You've started talking about it. I know that you were at the Cornell camp um, uh, last year, and you gave a presentation on the on the EV um, stuff. Correct? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I actually started talking about it at um, Drupal GovCon back in July. Oh, I was there, and yeah, I had no idea. We hadn't met yet. <laughs> no, no, and you know, it was one of those, you know, it was one of those um, sessions that. People are scratching their heads about like, why is this at Drupal? You know, why is this? At, <laughs> why, why are we talking about BACnet? Why are we talking about EVs at yeah. 
you know, Drupal camp. So, um, well, it's almost like a you small need, audience for that one. You need two presentations. You need a Drupal centric one for the Drupal events, and then you need a data or, or building centric one for the building events. Yeah, I mean, I'm still scratching my head about you know what what the ultimate presentation is. But no, I, th- I don't think I, there's one. I think there's two. <laughs> yeah, but then I go into um, audiences like it. I did at the EV Summit at the Florida Solar Research Center. Yeah, <laughs> and they they didn't know anything about Drupal, or some of the people were very knowledgeable about Drupal. I was extremely surprised about that. Yeah. And that's where I first heard of your name. You know, I heard Drupal Easy before, but that's, you know, I think through that connection is how I, right. you know, tracked you down. Don't listen to any of the folks at the Florida Energy Center when they talk about me. That's all lies. That's all. <laughs> well, we went out, you know, the first night there, that was a, a five-day seminar. And the first night there, they took us out to the Pelican Bar and Grill out on, is it Cocoa Beach? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that was a great time. You know, we just, there's about 20 of us that sat around sharing stories and all the ones I heard about you were great stories. Okay, well, that's good. Then the money I spend there to pay them all off is is definitely working. So that's good. I'll keep them, keep them. Yeah, we need to work on that website. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So um, you're going to stick around for the rest of the podcast, right? Absolutely. All right. So real quick, let me just run through some Drupal Easy news. Um, one of our graduates from our long-form uh, Drupal Career Online class, um, uh, she was a hospice nurse, and she's now a full-time Drupal developer um, working for Kalamuna. Um, she graduated from our class uh, last spring, so a little less than a year ago, and she recently published a blog post um, about her journey from uh, a hospice nurse to, to being a, a, an intern and, and um I don't know if this blog post reflects it, but she recently got hired on full-time by Kalamuna. She let me know. So that link will be in the show notes. Definitely check it out. It's a, you know, one of our wonderful success stories um, from our 12-week program. Um, I'm happy to announce that our spring uh, semester of the Drupal Career Online starts March 13th, so a couple months from now. So we're just getting the marketing ramped up and we're starting to talk to p- prospective students. So if you are interested in learning Drupal the right way, and it's not just Drupal, but we learn all about like a full-on development workflow using Git, using Drush, having a local development environment, being able to push things up to a remote shared development environment, um, using the features module, in addition to learning Drupal from an information architecture standpoint, we touch on theming, we touch on module development. Um, I think that this upcoming class is going to be our 10th uh, class, 10th time that we're teaching this. Um, you definitely want to check it out. If you just go to drupaleasy.com slash DCO, you can learn all about our 12-week program where we meet three three half days a week is all the time it is. Um, well, plus homework. So, there's that. <laughs> but definitely check that out at DrupalEasy.com. Um, three stories for, I won't even say this week, I'll say for the past few weeks since we've been off. Um, kind of some interesting news on the web form front. I know that web form has been one of those modules that has not been updated to Drupal 8 that a lot of people have been waiting for. Um, and it didn't like, look like there was a whole lot of momentum in upgrading web form to Drupal 8. Um, but suddenly there is a web form for Drupal 8. And how does that happen, you might ask? Well, there was another module out there called YAML form. 
um, that allowed one to specify a web form strictly by writing YAML. Um, There's also a user interface for it, but it was kind of an interesting web form alternative. Well, being a wonderful, open, friendly community that we are, the maintainers behind YAML form spoke with the maintainers behind web form and decided to merge the products or merge the modules or the projects, I guess is the best word. So what does that mean? That means that YAML form for Drupal 8 is now web form for Drupal 8. So there's now officially a web form for version uh, for Drupal 8. It's based on YAML form. I'm not sure if there's an upgrade path yet, um, but there is now a web form for Drupal 8, which I know a lot of folks who are thinking about building Drupal 8 sites have been waiting for. Um, one of our co-hosts, uh, Ted Bowman, was the maintainer of Entity Form for Drupal 7. Um, I believe he renamed that to eForm for Drupal 8. Um, and next time we have him on the podcast, next time he's able to host with us, we're going to talk to him. I'm, and I have a feeling that eForm is going to be going away as well. And everyone's going to kind of rally behind YAML Form, which from all indications, I played with it. It's a, it's a really, it's a solid uh, project. So congrats to everyone involved and great news for, uh, for people building Drupal 8 sites. Um, there's also an article on Drupal.org titled uh, Technical Advisory Committee Formed to Modernize Developer Tools. Really interesting blog post. Uh, I recommend anyone who's involved in the community um, from a contribution standpoint, which includes David, since you're the maintainer of several modules, um, probably want to read this. It's, it's talking about what are we going to do with our current project and issue queue on drupal.org. How do we modernize that? Um, this committee was formed to actually look outside, you know, are there third-party solutions that we can integrate with? Um, you know, the one that everyone always talks about is GitHub. Should we just move Drupal development to GitHub? Um, I'm sure the, 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 the TAC, the Technical Advisory Committee is looking at that, but they're looking at a number of potential solutions. Um, yeah, I think that's a real important issue yeah. right now in the Drupal community. Do you use GitHub very much? I, I don't. Okay. I mean, I just this last year I really focused on, you know, how I can contribute more to Drupal. Yeah, and you know, I like the whole attribution th- system mm-hmm. and you know, kind of the you know the um, you know you know if you do something, you get recognized for it. Right, and you know, I I noticed just you know, kind of in my own mind that, you know, if I, you know, got the credit for doing something, I thought, wow, you know, it kind of spurred me on to want to do more and more and more. And that's one of the things about the Drupal.org, you know, contribution system that we, that is super valuable that we don't want to lose. Like if we just upped and kind of, you know, moved over to GitHub, GitHub doesn't have that type of attribution system where we can keep track of individuals and organizations. Um, so I think these are all factors that the that the TAC is going to be you know keeping in mind as they you know kind of find the path forward for how do we modernize our tools, um, you know because it's a bit of a hurdle to make your first Drupal contribution. You have to be familiar with Git. You have to clone something. You have to create a patch. You have to upload that patch. You have to be patient enough to you know allow for the for the review process to happen. Um, you know, there are modern developer tools out there 
you know, I'll go back to GitHub since so many people are familiar with GitHub, but you can actually edit code and create a commit directly from the web interface. Think about what a boon that would be to Drupal to have something like that. You really lower the bar for people to contribute when, when you can do something like that. So really, um, really interesting stuff, uh, really important work that, that, that they're doing. So definitely, um, stay informed and, and check out that, that blog post and, and, um, you know, I'm sure additional upcoming blog posts from that committee. Yeah, this is great. I'm getting all this knowledge firsthand here. There Thanks, you go. Uh, all right. <laughs> um, and then finally, I, I do want to mention the, a word that is not used all that often in the Drupal community is the roadmap word. Um, but Moshe Weitzman, the, one of the maintainers of Drush, has published a Drush 9 roadmap on a post on Medium. Um, and it just talks about where's Drush going in the future and, you know, what are the, the long, or the short and long-term plans for Drush. Drush is one of those tools that, you know, most professional developers, uh, Drupal developers use. So it's in everyone's best interest to kind of stay attuned to, you know, where Drush is going. Um, and you know, I'm sure David, you use Drush, correct? Absolutely. How do you, yeah, how do you not? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so I actually did. Um, uh, I think it was early December. I did a Twitter poll, and I asked, you know, if you're building a new site in Drupal eight, which command line tool do you use the most? You know, with Drupal eight, you know, there's now Drupal Console, um, which I absolutely adore for Drupal eight development. Um, but I was wondering, like, is, is my view reflecting, you know, or does the community reflect my view? And not so much. It's, you know, for people building a new site in Drupal 8, 37% selected Drush as the tool they use most. Um, 15% selected Drupal Console. Um, and then I kind of threw a monkey wrench into the, uh, into the poll by having a third option of combination of both. So 41% of the people use a combination of Drush and Drupal Console. So if you add up combination of both and Drush, that's well over 70%. It's almost 80% of people are still using Drush in Drupal 8 site development, which may be a little bit higher than I would have guessed. Um, it tends to be one of those things when I'm doing Drupal 8 development, I use Drupal Console almost exclusively. There's a few things that Drupal Console can't do. Um, but if it did those few things, I'd probably be be sticking with it. And then 7% of people said they don't use either command line tool, which I guess that's about right, right? There's still a few stalwarts out there who aren't using, you know, the command line too much in Drupal 8 development. So interesting stuff. Um, definitely check out the Drush 9 roadmap. Links to all of these stories will be in the show notes. Um, picks of the week, David, I'm going to let you go first because you have a module that I've never heard of and I want to hear about it. Yeah, this is, this is kind of a, a wannabe module. You know, I have it, um, on the, you know, Drupal, um, project site. It's a, it's called green button mm -hmm. and, um, green button is a, an initiative of the department of energy and the white house from several years ago. And what they were trying to do is um, get the end user um, more knowledgeable about the energy usage in the buildings that they were occupying, whether it's residential or commercial or whatever. So <clears throat> they wanted to actually show people the data. 
So that's, you know, certainly within, you know, the theme that, you know, I'm, you know, near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, so they put together, you know, they spent, you know, a lot of money on this green button initiative and developed a set of standards. And those standards have now been finalized. You know, so, you know, just, you know, it's a federal government takes them a long time to, you know, get. Um, all of the industry players to agree on doing things in a standardized way, but you know they they've accomplished their objective and they have this green button um, um, standard that's out there at this point. So what it lets you do is um, you know go out and query you know using auth two you can go out and query your data set you know, at the utility company. So the utility company has, you know, electric meters on your house or your buildings or smart meters. They're logging that data, interval data in 15-minute intervals. And that's what your utility bill is based on. So um, the idea is that you can now have access to that data, you know, any time of the day. You know, so you can see almost real time, you know, what your usage was the last 15 minutes. So you're not shocked, but, you know, a month from now when you get your bill up oh, here. In, fantastic. You know, yeah. So um, yesterday, actually, I got a call from the, um, the um, Green Button Initiative, and they were really excited to learn that Drupal was even considering these things. So what it is is <laughs> it's not a matter know. of Drupal considering anything. It's a matter of people like you stepping up and doing it. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, he tracked me down through, you know, various means and I ended up getting to meet an email saying, Hey, this guy is trying to find you. So I called him up right away. And it turns out he's actually just about four hours away from me in Philadelphia. And he was real excited about you know, he had heard about Drupal, he had heard about whitehouse.gov being Drupal, and he was just um, really interested in how that green button data can be shown on a website, like now, making it available. So, you know, we started on, you know, some very basic code for Drupal 8. So I've got different meetings set up over the next couple of weeks to kind of develop what it is this i i work best when i think about a project so we're gonna work with you know the green button initiative to you know put together the drupal module it'll essentially be based on the backnet module for drupal mm -hmm. of drupal 7 and it'll you know enable the user to download their files hopefully right into drupal and then you know be able to display it in different types of ways so it's a Drupal 8 only module, not quite ready for prime time, but stay tuned. Absolutely. All right. Very good. Um, upcoming events. I think you and I both will be at Florida Drupal Camp in about six weeks. Is that correct? Yes, it is. I'm looking forward to that. And you'll be uh, doing a session on exactly what we, well, maybe not everything we've talked about, but I believe the EV stuff, correct? Yeah, I forget exactly what I'm calling it, but it has to do with how to bring your charging stations online and, yep. you know, the technology that makes that happen. So that, that uh, Florida Drupal Camp, February 17th through 19th, um, in about six weeks, registration is open. Um, you can go to fldrupal.camp to register. 
Um, we have free trainings on Friday, February 17th. Sessions are on both Saturday and Sunday, the 18th and 19th. We've expanded the camp from previous years. It's now going to encompass three full days. Maybe not. Well, let's call it two and a half days. Sunday is going to kind of be a shorter day. Um, I will say we've got some really cool things planned, including, um, and I'm not sure if it's going to be for, um, well, let me just say there's going to be some really cool swag at this camp. We've, that, this is what we've been focusing on over holiday break is, um, you know, thinking about what kind of swag can we have at our camp that's never been seen before. And it's, it's coming along quite nicely. Um, if you live in the northern part of the United States, then why wouldn't you come to Florida in February? I mean, it seems like a no-brainer. Uh, it's the exact opposite <laughs> of what the guy of, of what the folks at uh, Drupal Camp New Jersey are doing. They're inviting people to New Jersey in February, and um, people like me are silly enough to do it. So Drupal Camp New Jersey, just an absolutely fantastic camp. I went last year, had a great time. Um, really fun, really just community oriented camp, great sessions, um, great organizers, great venue, um, February 3rd through 5th of this yeah, year. Yeah, thanks for that. I, I think I'll give them a call and invite my green button contact to go to that one with me. Yeah, that's about a month from now from when we're recording. It's, it's really, I gotta tell you, David, I went last year for the first time, just a really excellent event. Um, it, really organized well and I'm, I'm looking forward to going back this year um, even if the weather is going to be you know probably a little bit chilly um, but anyway February 3rd through 5th registrations are open now for that as well at drupalcampnj.org um, David where can people find you online you know when people want to know more about me I just give them my Drupal user account dbt102 right other than that you know I, I started following Twitter a lot so I have a, my Twitter is dbt102. All right. Very good. Um, you can find Drupal Easy on Twitter at Drupal Easy. I am Ultimike pretty much everywhere, U-L-T-I-M-I-K-E. Um, I'm going to stop mentioning all the co-host Twitter accounts until they find time for the podcast. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so, David, we have, <laughs> we have a rotating uh, uh, group of six different co-hosts. So whoever can make the podcast, we'll, we'll do it. We almost never have everybody on at the same time. Um, but this being the first week back after a break, no one can make it other than me. So I'm not even going to – I won't even mention their names. Except, you know what? I will mention one of theirs. I will mention Mr. Ryan Price, who um, – one of the original, one of the three original hosts of this podcast is getting married this weekend. Um, but down here in Orlando, um, you know, I'm looking forward. It's going to be Graham, you know, my wife and I are obviously going to be at the wedding. Um, but congratulations to Ryan and his bride, Mariah, um, who are getting married this weekend. Uh, may the podcast may or may not be out by this weekend, but congrats to them. All right. So let's real quick, let's do five questions. Uh, David, name something you do in that uh, name, something interesting. I should say that you do outside of Drupal. Well, something that I try to do is Bikram yoga, hot yoga. And it's something that I absolutely hate, but I'm just so glad to do it. Yeah, no, you know what? <laughs> I, I haven't done it in a long time. I used to do it a lot. Um, it, it, I actually, I, I looked forward to it and I enjoyed it. Because <laughs> only because of the feeling that you get 
after you leave. Like you feel yeah, like, absolutely. Like, a, like a noodle. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So from a health perspective, that's the best thing I ever do for my body. Yeah. That's good stuff. How about what's the last piece of software that you installed? And it can be, it could be something on a phone or, you know, doesn't have to be a, a you know, computer software. Well, um, I treated myself to a, a, um, an, a, a business internet account over the holidays. So I have five static IP addresses um, <laughs> coming into my office. So at this point, I spent last night installing a new BACnet advanced workstation, new BAWS, a BACnet advanced operator workstation. So the software was called Web Control. So this is going to be the backbone of the new development infrastructure we'll have for the BACnet group Drupal to develop you know, the modules that we've been talking about. I'm pretty sure that's the first time anyone's ever given that answer. <laughs> I would, I would, I would be surprised if anybody, 99%, you know, I'm sure have never heard about it, right. but you know, back, there's a lot of stuff on BACnet, you know, and if you Google it around and, you know, BAWS definitely means something. There you go. Um, what is the goal that you have not accomplished yet? But that terrifies you a bit. Well, I would say actually um, taking the session that I'm trying to, you know, put together, you know, the best possible session to DrupalCon. So that um, I've never been to Google, uh, DrupalCon before, but to actually get up in front of, you know, Drupal experts and act like I'm one of them. Is yeah, you know, the thought of that is just absolutely terrifying. No, it shouldn't be. <laughs> they're all they're they're all nerds. Well, we're we're all nerds. That's you know. So don't worry about that. Yeah, it's funny. I was uh, <laughs> at this wedding I'm going to this weekend for for one of our co-hosts. I found out that um, I will be seated at what the wedding party is collectively calling the nerd table. <laughs> so, so basically, I guess it's a table full of all of Ryan's nerdiest friends. So I, I, I'm wearing that as a badge of honor. My wife, however, has decided that she's going to do everything she can to dispel that rumor that of, of it being the nerd table. So that'll be kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> What's the last exotic animal that you hand fed? Well, I would have to say it was an emu. An emu. That's a good one. All an right. emu. Yeah, I actually used to raise emus in my backyard. Uh, that's a whole and other pot. We can't start talking about that because that's going to be a whole. Don't, other don't get me started. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> Did you? So you raise them for their uh, their their fur or their hair? How does that work? Is that what? The, no, that's alpaca. Well, you know, you, like you know, it, it gets into the long story. But you know, I had kid, little kids at the time, and it was a great experience for them to you know kind of take them through the whole cycle of collecting eggs and incubating them and raising the chicks and. Yeah, it's just really neat. I have a lot of great pictures from back then. Do emus do well in like Pennsylvania winters? I was surprised, you know, because <laughs> they don't have shoes or anything on. They, you know, <laughs> but they do, you know. They just, you know, you put some hay down for them, and and they just love the early nights. You know, they just like to go back into their little sheds and, all right, you know, hunker down just like chickens or something. I did not see that answer coming from a million miles. <laughs> Did not see that 
All right, so what was your tipping point Drupal moment? In other words, you know, when you were starting to look at content management systems, um, at what point did you decide that Drupal was the one that you wanted to go with? Um, I forget when CCK, whether that was in Drupal 5 or Drupal 6. Yeah, but, uh, but once I... What's that? No, I was going to say both. I mean, it went away. It became yeah. part of Core in 7, I believe. Yeah, but once I understood the va- you know the value and the power of you know CCK, I was hooked. Understanding the value of CCK, yep, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, it took me a long time to figure out what a node was. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're full of vocabulary like that. So yeah, yeah, but but CCK really did it for me. Yeah, try explaining like entities and bundles these days. That's no, that's not a whole lot easier. All right. Yeah, that's your wife will get an earful of that at the wedding here. No, no, I, I have to. I have to put the. I have to make sure that doesn't happen. <laughs> I've got to. I've got to self use some self control. Um, all right. So real quick, our, our last sponsor, WebEnable.com and DevPanel.com. I should say they are gold sponsors of Florida Drupal Camp this year again. Um, but if you are looking for a shared development environment for you and your team, definitely check out webenabled.com. Um, you can also check out DevPanel, which they're calling cPanel for developers. So it's a way of managing your servers from a cPanel-like web interface. So check that out at devpanel.com. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear other episodes, you can search for us on iTunes or Google Play or at DrupalEasy.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail with questions or comments, you can call 321-396-2340. That's in the U.S., so that's plus one. Um, If you're interested in seeing what we might be talking about on upcoming podcasts, you can follow us on Reddit in the Drupal Easy Podcast subreddit. And that's it. That's all we got for this first podcast of 2017. David, I want to thank you for your time and your knowledge today and all your hard work on all of these great modules. And um, I look forward... Yeah, thanks for being a great host, Mike. Oh, no problem. I appreciate being, being invited. Yeah, I look forward to meeting you in person in a little over a month in Orlando. Absolutely. All right, well, that, just, that does it for... It doesn't just about do it. That actually does it. For Drupal Easy Podcast 189, uh, we'll see everyone next time. See ya!